The Irish Times Inside Politics podcast is going to be holding another live event. This one is in central Dublin on Thursday, May the 16th at 8am. We are going to be in Medley in Dublin too. We only have a few tickets left, so if you want to join me in conversation with head of Ipsos polling in the US, Cliff Young, along with Pat Leahy and Jennifer Bray, looking at the polling in Ireland in the run-up to the European and local elections, just go to irishtimes.com events where you can get your tickets. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. It's Wednesday, January the 31st, and you're very welcome to the Inside Politics podcast from the Irish Times. I'm Hugh Linehan. Almost two years ago to the day the Democratic Unionist Party withdrew from the Northern Ireland executive in protest at what it said were unacceptable checks and restrictions on goods travelling between Great Britain and Northern Ireland, which they argued undermined the North's position within the Union. This week, DUP leader Geoffrey Donaldson announced that the DUP is now prepared to return to government, subject to certain measures being introduced in the House of Commons, and they've been being discussed over the last few hours there in Westminster. So where exactly are we now and what is likely to happen next? I'm joined by our political editor, Pat Leahy, our London correspondent, Mark Paul, and our northern editor, Freya McClemens. Freya, I'll go to you first. Maybe you could just take us through events as they uh, as they transpired over the course of this week so far. Yeah, I can't believe it's only Wednesday. <laughs> it feels as if we, we've been waiting around for, for the guts of two years and then suddenly everything has happened really quickly. Um, I mean, the executive meeting, the D- meeting of the DUP executive on, on Monday night, when, when we knew that that was happening. Um, we knew that it was really that that it, it was it was going to be to be game on. And um, that meeting, five hour meeting. I mean, remarkable scenes, unprecedented scenes. The meeting, the private meeting of this hundred and thirty strong DUP executive being live tweeted by loyalist blogger Jamie Bryson um, on, on social media. Um, in some ways, it, it summed up the farcical nature of this, that this was the point where, where we had come to. And um, certainly what was being reported um, online at, at that point, sort of cries of mayhem. And there was a question mark as to whether th- th- this would all continue. But actually, what we had off the back of that was actually a very decisive Jeffrey Donaldson coming out half past one in the morning and saying, look, the basis is now there for us to re-enter the executive. And, and, and what, once that happened, really, everything started to fall into place very quickly. But ju- just what some of that chaos and the chaos around that demonstrated is just how hard he has had to work to face down the opponents, primarily within his own party. Because let's not forget, if Jamie Bryson is getting that leak, he's getting it from for somebody inside the room. He wasn't in the room. I mean, that's coming from somebody in that DUP executive. So Jeffrey Donaldson had to, had to face down or win over opponents within his own party and also deal with the constant 
heckling from the sidelines, the biting at his ankles from the likes of Jamie Bryson and also the traditional unionist voice leader, Jim Allister. And, and for a long time, it really appeared that things were going to be in the balance. We thought that all the choreography was lining up to a return to the Assembly before Christmas. That didn't happen. And really, we we, we were now at, at, at the final point. The DUP had, had run out of road. There was a new deadline in place, the 8th of February. If they didn't go back in at, at this point, then we're into the long grass. We were into the far side of a UK general election. So really, and I've been writing this phrase for 18 months at least, at some point, Geoffrey Donaldson was going to have to make a decision, was going to have to go for it, say, I'm the leader. This is what we, we're doing are you with me? This is what we've got on the table. We're not going to get any more. And and, and so it transpired. And, and the, the difference in the Jeffrey Donaldson, just to finish, that, that has been out and about in front of the media in the last sort of 24, 48 hours. I mean, he is out there selling a deal. He's up front. He, he's, he's confident because he knows that certainly in terms of his own party, he's done it. The deal is done and they're going back into Stormont. So the question, as you say, it, it always was, you know, what would Jeffrey Donaldson be able to bring the party with him? And the presumption was that he had not established that to his own satisfaction, as you say, back in December before Christmas, when they seemed to come very close to it at one point. And again, I think once or twice over the last the last couple of weeks. And then I was watching myself, these tweets coming from Jamie Bryson, and the general impression was of a kind of a clown car, a bit of a circus going on on, on Monday night. But then at the end of all that, as you say, it's really been quite decisive. And of course, there are, as we know, there are dissidents within the DUP on this issue. But Jeffrey Donaldson clearly has majority support. Yeah, and I think, it, strangely enough, in many ways, it was much easier for him to win over the party executive. So the, the party executive is made up of, it's around about 100 and 130 people, and, and they're, they're much more rooted in, in Northern Ireland than, say, the, the officer board, which we would have heard a lot about. And you have people on that who are MPs. You've Nigel Dodd, who's in the House of Lords. But in, in, in the party executive, you have a lot of MLAs. You have people who are in constituency associations. And they're the people who are getting in the neck on the doors. And they're also the people who are worried about not getting elected next time round and, 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 and simply losing their jobs. And the, the, the result of that vote has been kept very secretive. But Jeffrey Donaldson on BBC Radio today saying, you know, it was a significant majority. He said it, it was more than 60 percent. So when you have all of those people behind you, the, the dynamics of that, the 12 people on that key officer board makes it much easier for Jeffrey Donaldson to go back and say, look, People are behind us. The party is behind us. And the key turning point really in terms of the officer board was getting uh, Edwin Putz on side. And he confirming on Friday again on BBC Radio that he, he was backing Jeffrey Donaldson. So so the you have a 7-5 split, essentially. Probably not the overwhelming majority that Jeffrey Donaldson would have wanted in that officer board. He is by nature a cautious politician. He likes to weigh things up. He likes to make sure he has the support with him before he jumps. And, and I think that that inherent cautiousness, I think, um, had a large part to play in why he didn't go didn't go back in before. But once he had that on, on board, and I, I think it's also, again, it comes back to this, he, he'd run out of road. You know, some people would say, well, essentially, really, what changed between December and, and January? N- not not an awful lot. Um but he needed to feel that he 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 was absolutely there in terms of, of the support of the party. But it was always going to come down to at some point he was going to have to jump over the cliff and bring the party with him. 
And th- th- there was nowhere else quite simply left for, th- for the DUP to go. He had he had to make that jump and take them back into Stormont. Now, I want to go to Mark in London in a moment because ever since Geoffrey Donaldson came out in the early hours of yesterday morning, he has said a process will be in place now. We have agreed that we will proceed and return to the Assembly and by implication into the executive once certain things happen in Westminster. And just before I go to Mark about what those things might be, I mean, Things are set to happen quite fast now, aren't they? We're going to see an executive back up and running uh, before the deadline of February the 8th. Yeah, I mean, c- certainly it seems that way. Um, the, the the timeline that's being bandied around, so obviously today we had the, the legislation published. That's expected to be passed through uh, Parliament pretty pretty quickly. That's um, t- that's to happen tomorrow. That will come into law. I mean, that's a, a formality, really. There's not going to be any uh, opposition to that. Um, and then you're looking really at setting up an assembly recall Um Friday or Saturday um, is what's being mooted, probably more realistically Saturday, just because there's a number of things that need to be put put in place. And that then could pave the way for the first meeting of the executive on Monday, because the, the sticking point so far is when, when you recall the assembly, and we've seen that before, the first step is the nomination of the speaker, and that has to be nominated on a cross-community basis. It has to be a candidate that's acceptable to both sides. And this was where the DUP was able to block any other business happening because it it blocked the election of that speaker. So what will happen this time is that will go ahead. You then proceed then to nominations for first and deputy first minister. And of course, that's going to be really significant on its own because it's the first time that a nationalist has held that position of first minister in Northern Ireland. And then we go on to, on Monday, presumably, the the picking the the executive roles and then essentially it's it's down to business and we'll talk in a moment about what that might mean but mark uh, this debate has been happening in the house of commons i'm i'm not sure if it's still going on it was certainly going on within the last half an hour or so is freya right no it's not going to have a particularly bumpy ride there do you think no, uh, it's not going to have any, any any bumpy ride at all. I think Fred's correct. It's, it's, it's more or less a formality. Um, you, you'll probably hear maybe a little bit of back no, background noise when we hear. I'm, I'm actually sitting in Portcullis House, uh, which is where a lot of the MPs have their lunch. So if you hear the clinking of glasses, um, uh, it's just uh, MPs uh, uh, swilling all around so, me here. Sounds very convivial. Um, but, yeah, Are they but celebrating? Um, celebrating well, the return I, I, of the power-sharing institutions? A lot of them seem to be staring into their laptops um, whilst uh, having lonely lunches here. But look, look, they're, they're, they're moving around. There's a lot of business going on here. Um, look, it's a formality. The debate has finished. But the debate happened at about started around about half past one, um, um, shortly after Prime Minister's questions, um, 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 you know, upon publication of the command paper, um, which is the, the legal, the British government political legal document giving effect to all of the changes. So now what will happen uh, tomorrow on Thursday um, is that... Uh, two statutory instruments um, will be uh, put forward as motions in the House of Commons and they will be debated in the House of Commons and then there will be a vote tomorrow on those. Um, now again, as Freya said, it, it is pretty much a formality because um, Labour have already confirmed Hilary Benn, um, the, 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 the Shadow uh, Secretary of State for Northern Ireland, and, and the, the Labour's uh, spokesperson on it, he confirmed in the House of Commons already that Labour will vote for it. Um, so there's not going to be any chance of a real rebellion that would stop the thing. I mean, look, there might be a little sort of clown car sideshow about whether a couple of the Brexiteer ultras will uh, vote against it in principle to make some sort of a point to Rishi Sunak because either A, they want to weaken him as part of an ongoing campaign from that side of the Tory party to want to weaken Rishi Sunak um, or B, to register disapprove, their disapproval of the possibility um, that, that, that what has been agreed with the DUP might make it more difficult for the EU and the, for the UK to diverge from EU rules. Um, but look, a lot of it over in London now is they're, they're looking back across the Irish Sea at Belfast and they say, look, you know, back in your court and, and 
you know, I think a lot of people, there's a lot of relief over here amongst British politicians, um, um, and there's a little bit of mirth and, 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 and kind of uh, humour as well, knocking around about it. The best line that I've uh, seen today, uh, and I'm going to steal it, shamelessly I'm going to steal it, um, um, was, delivered, was given to John Rentoul, who's the chief political commentator of the Independent uh, newspaper in the UK, and he said that he was told by a DUP source in London that we'd reached the bottom of the celebrations tin and there were only bounties left. And I, I, I thought that, that that kind of summed it up very, very well. Some people so look, do like bounties. Taste of paradise. They do, but they're always the last ones left in the tin, right? And I mean, when, 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 when the bounties are all that are left, you'll devour the bounties, but, but you won't devour them first. And, and I think, you know, after two years of, 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 of doing this, they've, they've gotten to the end of the road here. Like, the, 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 I suppose some people have waded in. Some of the usual suspects have waded in quite quickly. I mean, Boris Johnson, no longer um, an MP even, you know, ex-Prime Minister. Um, um, he, uh, he, he tweeted quite quickly that, um, you know, we must avoid at all costs returning to the disastrous checkers model that, that Theresa May tried and, and, and failed to get over the line. Um, and he, 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 you know, he was reiterating his old hits about artificial concerns about the border in Ireland and all the rest of it. Um, so, so you have a little bit of that noise being made. I mean, you have some of the Brexiteer ultras like Bill Cash who stood up and, uh, and, 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 and gave a speech uh, uh, in the House of Commons debate. But his, you could see his heart wasn't really in it. Um, even Sammy Wilson of the DUP, who clearly would be on the hardline wing of, of a hardline party, he even sounded defeated when he got up. He put a little bit of distance between himself and the leader and deputy leader of his party, but he sounded like a man who knew that his die was cast. Um, Jeremy Corbyn gave a speech. What was notable, I thought, was that after Prime Minister's questions, there was a, there was a short debate on, on, on pharmacy issues, and then it went into Northern Ireland. And Rishi Sunak stuck around in the Commons for that, which is unusual, very, very unusual. Normally, they get the hell out of Dodge immediately after PMQs, but he stuck around, um, and there were a lot of senior frontbenchers uh, in, in, in the Tory party who stuck around. So, look, I think there's relief here. I think there's, um, 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 there's, a, there's a sense, as, as Frey was right, that, that, that it is a formality that, that it will pass. Um, um, a slight chance maybe of a couple of Brexiteers making a point just to annoy Rishi Sunak um, but it's game over here and game on uh, over in Belfast I think. So Pat I was reading this before we come into the studio there seem to be three kind of key three key main points one is about the way in which checks are managed or or, or not managed uh, between Northern Ireland and Great Britain um, there have been more rigorous uh, checks on goods up until now. Now it's going to be more like spot checks, and most things are waved through unless unless goods are destined for the Republic of Ireland when they're coming from the British mainland. So it's a kind of a relaxation which was already there, I think, in some of the discussions which took place around the Windsor fr- framework. The second one is this question of alignment with EU rules, and if those that alignment changes as the UK brings in new legislation, there's some mechanisms in place for the UK government to take account of what those changes might mean for Northern Ireland. Ireland uh, and vice versa if there's big changes in the EU what that means for Northern Ireland it all seems very fuzzy around the edges and gives lots of leeway and the last one is quite straightforward it's just a rhetorical restatement of London's commitment for the present under the terms of the Good Friday Agreement to the act of union between Northern Ireland and Great Britain which isn't really a surprise. Yeah I mean look I, I suppose everybody is really still still going through it and you know maybe we should be we should beware hot takes on issues that are, you know, of their nature quite technical. But on those caveats haven't been entered. On first take, I wouldn't disagree with that. It, it seems to be that there will be some relaxation of existing checks and that enables Jeffrey Donaldson to claim victory on, uh, on that particular front. 
the restatement of commitment to the union is, you know, kind of legally meaningless, but perhaps politically importantly for the DUP. Again, there's a, always been a, 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 a bit of a fudge at the heart of the uh, of the, the Windsor Declaration in that it is not clear what happens in the future uh, with Northern Ireland if and when the rest of the UK diverges from EU regulation. And that was at the heart of that at the time. And that there's various mechanisms, there's the storm and break and that. But even if the storm and break is, um, uh, is, is pulled, uh, as, uh, as it were, it's not 100% clear actually then what the British government, the British Parliament will do uh, after that. I suppose so, it depends on what, you know, who is in government in Britain at that I time guess so. and their, yeah, their policies. Yeah, I guess so. And, and again, look, part of this, I guess, is, is a restatement of that fudge. But, you know, in many respects, I think, um, and I think in, in most of the important respects, this is not about technical tweaks it's about the politics of the issue for Jeffrey Donaldson and, and they giving him the cover to go back into the institutions. And essentially what we see Jeffrey Donaldson doing here is, you know, claiming victory and, uh, and moving on. In a way, I think he could have done that two years ago. He would still have faced the unionist opposition that he he will face in the coming days. And that will be one of the, I suppose, slightly unpredictable things and one of the things to watch how this story proceeds over the coming days. What is the reaction of unionism, both within the DUP and uh, and, and outside uh, the DUP? How widespread is any opposition to this? Some suggestions, if Jeffrey Donaldson is saying that he got over 60% of the vote, then I think we can... Uh, assume that it wasn't much over 60% uh, of uh, of the vote. And uh, and so, look, it'll be interesting to see if that is replicated across the rest of political unionism, but also the part of unionism or loyalism that is inclined to make its voice heard uh, on, uh, on the streets. And that would be one of the important things over the coming days, I think. So Freya, it, it is, as you said, it is a very historic moment when Michelle O'Neill um, of Sinn Féin becomes the first nationalist politician to become first minister or, or its equivalent in previous Northern Ireland governments since the foundation of Northern Ireland. There's been lots of talk over the last two years or so that part of the unionist resistance to going back into government uh, was around having a nationalist first mm-hmm. minister for the first time. As we know, constitutionally, there's no difference uh, between the first minister and the deputy first minister. So it is purely symbolic. But do you think that symbolism still carry some weight in some quarters? Yeah, I, I think absolutely it does. And, and, and I mean, you're, you're absolutely right. The title of First and Deputy First Minister are a joint office, so you can't have one without the other. So technically, they're exactly the same. But if they're exactly the same, then why would so much time and energy have been devoted to discussing this? I mean, not even since the last election, but before that election, um, when you had both um, the DUP and the, the Ulster Unionists refusing to say if they would would share office with uh, with a Nationalist First Minister. So, I mean, clearly it is an issue and part of that is just about, about Northern Ireland. I mean, we see this time and time again in Northern Ireland elections. Very often it comes down to a numbers game. It's how many did 
unionist scat and how many did did nationalist scat um and um i mean we can discuss all day in in, in terms of um how much good uh this no- does northern ireland but nevertheless that is the reality of it and i i think it, it also goes back to again as you said i mean when you think of you know the reason for the foundation of Northern Ireland just over as over a hundred years ago. It it was about protecting that unionist majority in the the northeast corner of Ireland, and I, when you're up at Stormont, you know that that symbolism is played out um, in grand scale, in very grand scale. When you look at Parliament buildings, I mean, this is a big, solid monstrosity of a building right up on a hill you know it says you know we are here we are here to stay we are going nowhere and I imagine that the unionists that walked into Stormont for the first time in the 1930s when it opened just simply wouldn't have been able to conceive of a time when unionism would not have been in the majority but what we've seen over recent years is we have seen that majority being knocked down time and time again you know we're going to have a nationalist first minister uh, for the first time Nationalist Party is now the largest party in the Assembly. They're the largest party at council level. Depending on what happens at the general election, um, unionism could lose its majority there in, in terms of seats. You know, whatever metric you want to, to look at, um, even the, the census results in, in 2021 um, showed that there were more uh, people from Catholic or a Catholic background in Northern Ireland than there were from a, a Protestant background for the first time ever. And again, you know, that's not to equate Catholic with nationalist and unionist with Protestant, but by, by and large, that, that is, is where the, those voting patterns um, break down. So th- this is a really significant moment. And again, to go back to that that picture of, of Stormont up on the hill, it was significant, I think, yesterday, that Tuesday, that Michelle O'Neill and Mary Lou MacDonald give their press conference up at Parliament buildings in Stormont. And, and they, they talked about that. They, they talked about the origins of Northern Ireland. They talked about the significance now of having a nationalist first minister. And, and, and they, they talked about Irish unity now being within touching distance. And I think we've seen so much played out over the last sort of decade or so because of Brexit around unionism and unionism spheres. But behind that has also been the changing changing circumstances in Northern Ireland, changing demographics, but uh, but also the, the changing of, of the question, the putting that question about constitutional change back on back on the agenda. And I, that is what we're now going to see very much going forward. It's going to be about that question around constitutional change and around Irish unity. And you would expect uh, under a nationalist first minister that that's going to be much more to the fore. Can I just ask in relation to that, there was some adverse reaction to uh, Mary Lou Macdonald's comments there. It'll come as no surprise to anybody who knows anything about this that the first item on the agenda um, for Sinn Féin is, is is always going to be Irish Irish unity. But at that very moment, to use that particular phrase that it's within touching distance, uh, uh, our listeners will know that we've been running all kinds of polls and explorations of this question. You need to have a very long arm for it to be within touching distance, judging by those polls. Yeah, I mean, I, I think in, in fairness to Mary Lou MacDonald and um, Michelle O'Neill as well, most of what they said was actually around, the, the language was much more carefully couched. It, it, it was around a new Ireland. It was around an agreed Ireland. It was around an Ireland for all. It's about new arrangements. You know, it, it, it's the kind of language that the, you see them use around this debate. Um, and obviously the media all sees on, on this this one particular phrase um, because, I mean, it, it, it was it was it was the line of the press conference. I mean, absolutely. But I, I think, I mean, you're absolutely right. And, and Sinn know this you know this is you know there's nobody on this island doesn't know that what Sinn Féin wants number one is a united Ireland but they they also know that this is a longer game you know this this isn't next week 
or even next year. Um, and the reality is, is that once um, once Stormont is is up and running, um, there's going to be an awful lot of very practical day to day issues which are going to take up the time. That said, in the background, the party is always going to be walking to working towards Irish unity. And if you have um, Sinn Féin. Um, First Minister, if you have Sinn Féin as the largest party in the executive in the north, and potentially if you have Sinn Féin either in government or certainly with its eyes on government in the south, then, you know, it's very difficult to argue that that does not advance the cause of that that border poll in the United Ireland. I thought that was really interesting. Sorry, Hugh, just to to jump in there. um, Why Mary Lou MacDonald should seek to pile pressure on Jeffrey Donaldson at this kind of point in time when he's particularly vulnerable. I thought it was interesting. Mm. You do wonder also, you know, did they simply just get caught caught up in the moment? I mean, again, going back to that thing about about significance, I'm sure they're standing up there in, in Stormont going, "This is significant. This this is a big deal." And there, there was there was quite a flurry. There there was a group of. Um, schoolgirls from um, Mount Lourdes Grammar in, in Enniskillen who they happened to be there on a visit when, with their, their teacher and there were some brilliant pictures of the, the girl, just the excitement of the girls sort of being caught up in this almost, I think as they would see it, sort of c- celebrities um, in, in the Great Hall. So, I, I mean, I, I, I imagine, I mean, Sinn Féin, as we know, are usually very on message. They know in terms of polling, certainly in Northern Ireland, that what works is when they talk about those messages, they talk about things like Northern Ireland for all making it work. I mean, I've remarked before that sometimes when you look at their election slogans, they're almost interchangeable with an alliance election slogan. But I'm sure that going through their heads as well is the significance of of this moment and is the sense that it is a step towards Sinn Féin's ultimate goal, because it is. Which raises the question of how all this is, is going to work, which we're going to discuss after this break. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. And you're very welcome back. Mark, to you in London again. Um, as, as was mentioned earlier, there was some talk earlier in the week before we had seen this wording that it was going to be some new version of Theresa May's ill-fated Chequers Agreement, which ultimately was one of the factors that led to her downfall and a replacement by Boris Johnson, who's then been harumphing about it on on social media this morning. It, it's, it's certainly not a Chequers Agreement, but is it is it the case that this sort of approach which is laid out in this document today is much more likely to work because both Rishi Sunak's current government and the likely administration of Keir Starmer, which we'll probably see later in the year, are really moving back towards that position of uh, maintaining general alignment with the European Union, um, which was such a, a bugbear of the Brexiteers. But that's really the way in which UK politics is is largely moving back now. 
I think that's a fair assessment. I think with Rishi Sunak and with the Tory party, um, um, what you state there is, is, is implicit. But I, I, I think more importantly with, with Keir Starmer and with the Labour Party, who, you know, barring some sort of a political earthquake, um, are going to be running the country sometime later this year, um, and it's explicit. They say, we're going to get closer to Europe. When you go to briefings with, um, you know, uh, uh, people around the shadow foreign secretary or, 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 or people around... Um, and the shadow Northern Ireland loves. I mean, I mean, I mean, they're they're pretty explicit about it that that, that they see um, the future for the British economy in terms of generating growth is staying a little bit closer to Europe um, and easing the wheels of trade um, and, uh, and not quite rolling back Brexit. I mean, look, look, they don't come out and say anything like that. But you're right, um, and, and, and you know, it, sort of a, a, a rallying cry for the the, the, the right wing contingent of the Tory Party. Um, and is around divergence from EU law. I mean, it's 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 a real bone of contention. It's the it's the it's the dividing line between um, sort of those different parts of the Conservative Party. And and you know, if there is any miser to be had over here in London, and I do take on board actually what Pat Leahy said that you can't counter chickens in relation to this stuff. But if there is to be any miser over here, it will be all over that issue of divergence. And just if if you just humour me for a second, just let me just jump back. You guys were having a, a very interesting discussion there about um, Irish unity and, 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 and Sinn Féin's intervention, whether that caused trouble. That was actually noticed over here too. Um, I don't know if you guys saw, but during the, the debate in the House of Commons, Richard Drax, who was a Tory MP, um, jumped up and he said that you know there had been unhelpful whisperings from Sinn Féin about the United Ireland. And he asked Chris Eaton-Harris, the Secretary of State for Northern Ireland, to declare that, um, that, that, that Northern Ireland would remain forever a part of the UK. Now, what, what the exchange showed to me was actually there's a real fundamental misunderstanding of the Good Friday Agreement at the heart of the Conservative Party um, and, and, and not just amongst backbenchers also amongst frontbenchers because um, number one, I mean Richard Drax uh, ought to know that the Good Friday Agreement means that it's down to the, the people of Ireland but, but Chris Heaton-Harris um, said look I have to tread carefully here uh, Mr Drax I can't, you know I have, I have a formal role as a Secretary of State um, but then Chris Heaton-Harris says because ultimately the future of it will depend upon the consent of both communities now that's actually yeah. wrong mm-hmm. um, as I, far I as I know that, yeah. it's a it's a, it's a simple majority and if the guy who as Secretary of State for Northern Ireland has a formal role in implementing the Good Friday Agreement in terms of calling a referendum um, 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 you know, in the actual document if he doesn't get it or if he can make that simple mistake um, well it just shows that the Good Friday Agreement you know the Tory party are just not the party of the Good Friday Agreement in a lot of ways and, and, and there is a fundamental misunderstanding of those kind of granular issues of Northern Ireland politics in the heart of Westminster and, and you know that's got to be worrying, I would say, from an Irish perspective. I'd say that was shocking, Pat, if we hadn't seen so many instances of that over the last five or six years. Uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> Mark describes it as a simple mistake, and it is a simple mistake, but it's also... A very big one. A very, very big mistake in terms of what the Good, Good Friday Agreement says. But in, in, in effect, I think this becomes less and less important. And there must be, I think, at least a part of the DUP's decision, which is made in the light of that knowledge that these are the dying days of the Tory government and that the next government is overwhelmingly likely to be a Labour government, which will still be a government that is pro-union, but will more than likely be unwilling to instrumentalise Northern Ireland in its... Brexit policy or in its relations with Europe in the way that this government has. And I think that the 
the attitudes, the views, the perspectives and, and you know, the, the, the political goals of the right wing of the Tory party will evaporate as a factor in Northern Ireland's future, at least for the time being. For five or six years anyway, just given, for the, sure. given the length yeah. of parliamentary terms, that yeah. seems likely. So that's, that's, that's a relief, isn't it? Honestly, it's a sense of a, a greater calmness coming back to these matters, rationality coming back to these matters. Yeah, and I, I suppose it is an, under, uh, an underexplored area what the Northern Ireland policy and the Anglo-Irish policy of a Keir Starmer administration is likely to be. But, you know, I, I guess that's one of the things that will preoccupy Mark over the, uh, over the coming months. It's certainly, um, uh, it, it's certainly something that people in, 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 in Dublin, diplomats in Dublin are, uh, are, are exercised. And, and, and just, j- just to jump in on that really quickly, because I'm actually going to have to shoot off in a minute um, to, uh, to a technical briefing with Westminster um, Wonks on, 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 on the technicalities of the document. But just on, on Pat's point there, with regards to Keir Starmer and his attitude towards Ireland, I do think, actually, there, there's, there's going to be a before and after the general election version of Keir Starmer on this because before the election, you know, he is a defender of the union, obviously, and he has to maintain quite a strict position on that for one very, very good reason, which is that if Keir Starmer is seen or, or, or allows himself to be portrayed by the Tory party as being soft on, on the union in terms of Northern Ireland, they will tear him to strips in Scotland on this and, 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 and union voters in Scotland won't vote for him if they think that he is soft on the union so he has to act hard on the union before the election and I think once he gets through Scotland and because you know he often see, he sees the route to power to sort of the road to that travels through Scotland um, if, once he gets through Scotland and gets through the general election without being portrayed by the Tory party as some sort of an enemy of the union I think you might see a little bit of a softer Keir Starmer after the election in terms of Irish issues, in terms of consent, in terms of his attitude towards the constitutional future of Northern Ireland. So there's that, there's that before and after the election. He's playing hard now. I think he'll have to play a little bit softer on Northern Ireland um, um, once the election is done, assuming he's in number Mark, 10. Mark, we'll let you run off to your wonkish briefing um, and we will con- continue our conversation. Freya, I noticed somebody sardonically commenting uh, today saying, oh, well, now the, once the Assembly is back next week, we'll be back to the times. Remember 2016 when the sun shone all the time and it was a land of milk and honey and everybody got on so well. And of course, that is not what we remember about the Assembly and the Executive, even when they were up, run- up and running. They had more than their fair share of dysfunctionality and there is no reason to believe that that won't be the case again, is there? Yeah, I mean, I think this is the problem. I mean, yes, you know, we've had no devolved government for two years. You know, it is a positive thing in general for Northern Ireland that there will now be a government again and ministers there to take decisions. And, you know, maybe something gets done about waiting lists and potholes and the fact that you can't get an MOT test for your car before it runs out. I mean, all these these things of normal life that have just fallen apart really in the last couple of years. But all that is down to, you know, again, this didn't happen overnight. And when you when you look back, you know, the assembly was, I mean, the last time that we were all standing up in Stormont or wherever it was, listening to talks about getting the assembly back up and running was only 2020, you know. So we, we were essentially, we were back before COVID and then there was a three-year hiatus before that. And when, when you look at, at the, the figures, I'm sure it's actually uh, more than this now, but um, the, the assembly was set up obviously as a result of the, of the Good Friday Agreement in 1998 and that 25, nearly 26-year period, the Assembly has been down or out of operation 
more than it has actually been in operation. So the and and this this is down to the way that the assembly and the executive operates and is run. It's down to these cross community rules, which and there was a very good reason for these in in 1998 because you had to protect minority parties, you had to protect power sharing. Um, but and we touched on on some of this earlier. You know, society has moved on, politics has moved on, and it, it was precisely because of those protections, which were about securing minority interests that actually the DUP was able to collapse um the the assembly and the executive for two years so i mean we've heard i mean you know the alliance party the, the sdlp have been been very vocal in terms of saying look we actually need to reform these institutions now because there's no point in getting it all back up again going through all of this if it just collapses again in six months time and actually to be honest there's nothing to stop um the dup doing exactly the same thing again or or, or, or Sinn Féin or you know any party that can get together the, the requisite numbers to do this and then everybody is actually ju- just he- held in limbo so i mean I, I wouldn't for a second imagine that it's all going to be sort of some kind of nirvana or, or, or land of of milk and honey and w- one of the other things that and you, you sort of mentioned 2016 as kind of a, a turning point. I mean, it, it did feel that there was a brief sort of window from, say, you know, signing of St Andrews up until then when things seemed to be getting better. You know, it seemed that cross-community relations were improving, that parties were working well together. And and, and this is all stuttered to a halt and, and I think what one of one of the, the big consequences that we've seen and not just over the last two years but again so much of this goes back to, to Brexit. Uh, I mean intercommunity um, relations have definitely worsened, relations between the, the parties have, have definitely worsened so, so you're, you're going back into a much trickier environment to try and start to get to grips with the basic building blocks of, of, of running running the place again. And and don't forget, I mean, the financial problems Northern Ireland's facing this massive, you know, multi-million pound black hole. Yes, there's a financial package on the table to try and address some of this, but we're still dealing with a really, really, really tight um, budgetary situation. So it's absolutely not going to be plain sailing. Pat, I want to ask you what, what, what you think this means for Sinn Féin in particular, but the parties in the North in, in general. But in terms of what, what, what Freya's, in terms of what Freya is saying there, I mean, it's a subject we've talked about before, and I think it came up in the House of Commons today. Chris Heaton-Harris was asked by Colin Eastwood of the SCLP what his view was on, you know, some structural changes to the to the Belfast Agreement that, that, that might make the incentives less for the parties to pull pull the whole House of Cards down as regularly as, as, as they have done. And I think his response was, that's a matter for the parties. Um, now, the trouble with that, isn't it, is, is that the two largest parties um, are frenemies on this. Sinn Féin and the DUP have an interest in, in the current system continuing. It's very difficult to see any sort of a consensus emerging, not just with the parties, but between the governments. I mean, Chris Eisenhower isn't strictly right. You know, he may be politically right that there would have to be consensus between the parties on a change. But the Belfast Agreement is principally a, uh, an agreement between the two governments. That's, uh, uh, you know, that, that, that's was the basis for it. So I guess everybody would have to agree and that's very difficult to see because as you point out, um, if you were to say allow a government to be formed without the biggest unionist or nationalist party, that would immediately disadvantage and remove the leverage of uh, that, that Sinn Féin and the DUP currently uh currently engaged. So beyond there being a, a, you know, a sort of a new impetus, 
in as between the two governments um, in, in in Dublin uh, and London, and perhaps that is possible with a change of government in Dublin and a change of government in London, looking say twelve months down the line, and maybe that might be after twelve months of uh, unparalleled harmony and cooperation between the DUP and uh, and Sinn Féin. But uh, in, in this in, world, in the we, we, we prefer to talk about but this I, world. I, I think, no, I mean, that, that is not beyond the bounds of possibility. I mean, the history of Northern Ireland the last 25 years has been stuff that nobody said would ever happen has, uh, has happened. Of course, lots of stuff that people said was completely inevitable happened as well. So, um, uh, so I'm not sure how much of a guide that is. But uh, it, it, it seems to me to be less likely than it is likely. I mean, the argument has been made, I think correctly, Frey, I'm not sure what you think, which is that the best way to safeguard the union if you're a unionist in Northern Ireland is to make Northern Ireland work as well as possible and make it a well-governed place and make people not want to change the fundamental constitutional basis upon which it's based. The, the, that doesn't seem to be as prominent a thought in, in political unionism as maybe it should be. You know, if, if what you want is to preserve the union, then, you, you know, the, the, the people that are going to win this for you in, in a hypothetical border poll are not the, you know, the hardline unionist voters, because they're all always going to vote unionist anyway. It's actually your alliance voters. It's that kind of 20% in, in the middle. You know, if you win those over, then the union is secure forever and a day. And you, you don't need to worry about you know, all this kind of grandiose language that we've seen in the UK government's command paper today about copper fastening, you know, Northern Ireland's integral place in, in, in the UK. I mean, ultimately, that is, if, if a border poll was ever to be held, you know, it's going to come down to 50% plus, plus one. So it's those people in the middle that you need to need to persuade. But this has been one of the the ironies, I suppose, of this whole Brexit process and even what we've seen o- over the last two years. I mean, what, what this has done if anything, is that this has undermined the union in in the long term because it has made more of those people in the middle, maybe people who were DUP or Austrian unionist who've gone to alliance. You know, they have. There's what's it the phrase? It's unity curious. I think is is the phrase. You know, people are starting to to to, to look at this because they don't like the fact that Northern Ireland is, is, isn't working, that you can't get an appointment with your GP, that a quarter of people in Northern Ireland are on a health waiting list, that outcomes are now are are now worse um, for you in terms of health than anywhere else in, in the United Kingdom. I mean, none of this actually sounds like being an integral and valued part, part of, of, of the United Kingdom. So I think this is one of, you know, in the long term, when we're looking back at this from the view of 20 years or 30 years or 50 years, I mean, I'll certainly not be around to analyse it at, at, at that point, I would imagine. But, you, you know, you, you do wonder, will sort of people look back and think, well, it, it, is this where that longer term argument over the union was actually lost, and it was interesting. Edwin Putz, who who's a a real pragmatist in the, in the DUP, he he talked after the the last election, the council election result, when DUP again lost its majority in the council elections, and Sinn Fein um, overtook them by a significant number of seats. And he talked, but you know, this being the, the the wake up and smell the coffee moment that actually unionism needs to take this on on board and, and stop hemorrhaging your more moderate voters and that that is how you do it. But, you know, it's almost as if every time there's that realisation, then that almost inherent thing within hardline unionism to, to, to go to the extreme, you know, to circle the wagons, the, 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 the no surrender, you know, to, to, to worry about what's happening on, on your hardline. That seems to be the default. But 
those again, those aren't the people that that you need to worry about. It's 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 those it's the moderate alliance voters are the people that you need to hang on to, and nationalist voters as well. I mean, or Catholic voters. Not obviously not every Catholic voter um, votes unionist, but those are the people that you need to hang on to. And things like we've seen over the last few years just makes that much harder. And ironically, perhaps given his own personal history of opposing David Trimble twenty five years or more ago, Jeffrey Donson is the latest in a long line of. Uh, unionist leaders to kind of take that on board and face down the hardliners. Yeah, but this was always the inevitable choice. If he was going to try and work the political institutions, he was always going to have to face down the hardliners. I suppose what he has done is decided that he can, you know, he is in a position now to face them down. I think that'll be one of the interesting things over the over the coming days, how much of a split, of any, he has to uh, contend with. Is there, to, to coin the phrase, uh, beloved of my friend Brendan O'Leary, is there going to be loser's consent amongst the... Um, uh, uh, amongst the DUP voters or the D, you know the DUP activists who didn't want him uh, to make this choice. So we'll we'll find a bit more out a lot about that over the coming days. We'll also find out, I guess, over the coming year if DUP really want to make this work and if political unionism really wants to make the North work. And I suppose there's a bit of a question mark over that because it seems to me that some of them would always there's a section of unionism that was always there's uh, a direct happy with that. happy part of part yeah, of part, yeah, of, part of the unionist but it's, con- it's also I suppose well. and just to finish on this point there's also a question of whether Sinn Féin wants to make well that was exactly what I wanted to talk about because the, actually, corral- the corollary yes. of that argument which I think really holds water that it is in the interests of unionism to make Northern Ireland work. Okay. You know, almost so by let, definition. So let me ask you about the obvious side, side of that yeah. coin, which is that we are going to have elections both north and south of the border over the next 12 months because there'll be a UK general election and there'll be there'll be an Irish general election. The largest party on both sides of the border, according to opinion polls, is Sinn Féin. What impact do, do the events of this week and next week have on Sinn Féin's strategy and presentation of itself? I think being in government in... Uh, in the north is good for Sinn Féin in the south. Now, um, you know, there's always been this unionist argument that Sinn Féin doesn't really want to make the north work because it doesn't want the north to continue as a political uh, as a political entity. That's an argument that has to win now uh, at the ballot box. That You occasionally hear that argument um, in, in certain circles in, uh, in Dublin as well. I'm not sure about it. To be honest, Sinn Féin worked the institutions for a long time. It made a lot of political sacrifices and put a lot of political energy into setting them up. And, um, and, and I think it is clear, right, that over the last 20 years that Sinn Féin, the primary focus of Sinn Féin's political priority is has moved south from uh, the north. So what they do in the north is looked at by the party, not just as an you know, important sphere of political activity in and of itself, but also important as to how it plays in the south. And I'm not sure, you know, that I'm not sure that the Sinn Féin necessarily gets points from voters in the South for making the North work, but it definitely doesn't get points for them for not making the North. Mm. Last last thought to you, Freya, as somebody who's, whose day job is covering all these issues, but, but life in general in Northern Ireland and, and politics in, in Northern Ireland. I mean, we hear a lot, and I see it always in Vox Pops. I'm always slightly suspicious of these Vox Pops. Everybody wants the politicians to get down to work and make Northern Ireland run properly. What is your sense of what 
impact or change this has on ordinary people's lives in Northern Ireland that they that they get their own devolved government back? Yeah, I think, I mean, yeah, you're right. You go out and talk to people and what what you get is you get frustration. Um, you know, you get frustration, you get anger at the fact that the institutions weren't up and running. People will say to you, what we want is we want the politicians back in Stormont. Um, and that now, it, it appears, is going to be what, what, what is going to happen. But you also hear them say, Okay, I can't be doing with that lot. Oh, sure, they're all as bad as each other. Oh, these politicians, what, what, what do they do for us? And, and I think, I mean, again, thinking of the, the long-term implications of this, I think one of the things that it really does is it, it undermines, it undermines democracy, actually, in Northern Ireland. It certainly undermines the institutions. Um, you know, if, if we can manage just about for two years with actually no no governments. I mean, I mean, imagine if you were in Dublin and there was no education minister, there was no health minister, there was no economy minister, there was no fine, there was nobody making any of these decisions. There was basically sort of a budget, and there were a load of civil servants kind of just managing it and not even making any decisions. I mean, I mean, you know, imagine the outcry. And, and colleagues in Dublin and, and friends in Dublin will say to me repeatedly why do you not put put up with it you know why are people not out on the streets well of course civil servants are are uh, are not civil servants public sector um employees are out out in the streets but th- there is this almost this kind of acceptance that we don't expect good government or proper government and w- when you've had you know, again, to go back to that point about the institutions being down more often than, than than they're up, you know, there is an extent, I think, to which people just switch off from it and turn away from it. And people do start to look at the alternatives, whether that's direct rule or United Ireland or, or, or something in between. But I think, you know, the, the Stormont, imperfect as it is, and we know it's imperfect, but that was the compromise, you know, that was the compromise of the Good Friday Agreement that ended the troubles. And there, there, there's nothing else, you know. If you don't have power sharing, what do you? Have? You have no government, or you have direct rule, or United Ireland, or, or something else. So I, I think, I think it's, I think it's, it's weakened Stormont in the long run, and I, I really think it remains to be seen. Um, what's going to can it can it stay the course? Um, can it be turned into something that actually works for people in Northern Ireland? I think our history would have to teach us to be skeptical, but then maybe that's not a reason to hope, you know, not to sound too optimistic, but actually maybe we just need a bit more hope and a bit more optimism in Northern Ireland politics. There's a challenge to leave you with. <laughs> on that challenging, hopeful yet sceptical note, we will leave it there. Thanks very much to, to, to Freya and Pat for joining us. Thanks to Mark for being with us earlier. Thanks also to our producer, Declan Conlon, and our engineer, JJ Vernon. We'll be back with you in a couple of days' time. Until then, thank you very much for listening.